With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Eat, Sleep, Suplex, Retweet. Hello everybody, it's me, Sarah, and welcome back to another episode of Eat Sleep Suplexed Retweet. And this week, because of, you know, lockdown and it's hopefully finally coming to an end, we thought it would be a better time to actually talk about the past three to four months of our lives that has been the COVID era of wrestling. Just a wee bit of housekeeping just before I introduce my social distance panel today. Make sure you are following us on our social media platforms. We are on Facebook, Twitter, we are on Instagram, at Suplex Retweet. Easy enough to find us. Make sure as well that you're subscribed. I know you're listening right now, but if you happen to maybe choose a different podcasting platform, you can find us on iTunes, Spotify, Android, and even see if you go to our website, suplexretweet.com, you can find every everything that you could possibly need to know and that is links to articles that is links to the, the team keeping up with uh, what we're actually doing each and every week and also where to find us on different podcasts and platforms that are maybe not the most popular also as well you're listening to us on our main feed we do actually have our extra feed as well make sure you are subscribed to where again it's all free iTunes, Spotify, Android podcasting sites and you can find such shows such as Saturday Draft Live you can find East meets west and we can also find the wednesday night wars which is hosted by yours truly now to introduce my lovely panel for today first up as the host of scott and paul's rambling podcast this man is used to performing to an empty audience it is scott mcleod not even not even mad because you you got my other podcast in there so you know fuck it i'll take it <laughs> how are you scott oh i'm good anybody remember a time when you could stand closer than two meters from someone i don't no <laughs> next up well, well, my panel are sitting laughing. No matter what the government guidelines may be, no amount of social distancing could save you from the boredom of this man. It is Grant McRobbie. <laughs> well, that's just that is just rude. <laughs> that's like the most polite rebuttal ever. <laughs> it's like that's rude. <laughs> How are you, Grant? I'm not talking to you now. Fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> I'm good. This, I'm this good. is going to be a funny show if you're not speaking to me. Who's that? Who's speaking? Can oh, someone speak God. to it? Coming up next, most people have been deprived of doing things they love during COVID-19, and this man is no different. Only, instead of having to fire people face-to-face, he needs to settle for Zoom meetings. It is Gary Kernahan. Oh, it's it's funny because it's true. <laughs> <laughs> How are you, Gary? I'm good, Sarah. I've missed seeing you. The rest of the panel, not so much, but you, yes. Ah, <laughs> oh, that's been my day. Gary's now my favourite. Wow, I'm hurt. Uh, <laughs> and last but not least, I can only imagine that social distancing from us has been a blessing in disguise for this man. But then again, he seems to have built up an aggression for not being able to throw tape at us. It is Quacko. That's so true. That's so true. Oh, yes. I wish there was like a, a button on a Zoom or StreamYard or whatever we use that, that would just instantly throw tape at you from your laptop. That would be the dream. Oh, God. I can only imagine when we get back into the studio that you're going to have it like at the ready. Aim. Set. Fire. Yes and no, because I don't want any lawsuits. That's the only problem. <laughs> I think, like, then again, you can get lawsuits for near enough everything. I saw a lawsuit um, because someone cut the other person's edge. Ah, there we are. <laughs> there you go. But yes, yeah, so I have got my lovely panel together today to discuss the COVID era of wrestling, or to some it may be the cinematic version, or it could be the empty arena era. What I'm going to do is I'm going to start off Grant. Right at the yeah. moment, we've got lots and lots of companies that are still actually going to work and not following, no, I wouldn't say following government guidelines of being completely locked down, but they're putting on content still. Uh, you've got, for like example, Impact did a mass set of tapings uh, to get them through until this month in July before Slammiversary, and then they've actually they actually sent like all of their talent home from when May to July. So I want to get your opinion on of what companies have done in terms of like keeping their content, but also keeping the safety of their talent uh, as a main priority. Uh, there's been a lot of mixed. Um, I'll start with the worst of the lot. WWE. <laughs> Let's face it, there's not been any any safety with them. What's like thirty cases of Corona now? Uh, the they're, Corona they're not does not exist in WWE. We've been over this. They're, they're not even allowed to speak about it. But some mm-hmm. AJ Styles and Drew Gulak just disappeared from Friday. <gasps> I'd, I'd definitely say they've been the worst impact. Done quite a good thing with doing the tapings. We all know who I'm going to say is my favourite for it. New Japan. They just completely ceased everything until it was the appropriate time. And now we've got the New Japan Cup. <laughs> you, could, you could tell you're extremely happy. Wasn't beyond more than anything. Kwaku, as someone that's been joining me on a regular basis, or AKA one time for Wednesday Night Wars, um, AEW have taken like quite an interesting approach um, where they have been using their talent including friend of the show Sugar Dunkerton, aka Pineapple Pete, mm-hmm. as part of the audience members. Have you seen this app being an improvement to as opposed to doing just empty shows? In all honesty, with in terms of the people that have been doing shows, I think in terms of adapting to the situation and producing content, I think AEW have done the best in that sense because 
Whereas when you notice the first couple of weeks that WWE did their empty arena shows, there were no crowd. Also, things like the hard cap was at a different uh, position. Then it changed after AEW. Now, before all the WWE and AEW uh, loyal people come out and say, oh, Quacker, you're just saying WWE copied AEW. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying that obviously things can adapt and evolve. As well as that AEW, the use of the like the fans or the wrestlers has been much better because the mistake WWE had was the fact that they used uh, like NXT trainees as audience, so they couldn't like make an impact or a name for themselves from the side. It seemed like they were a lot more regimented compared to AEW, who, let's be honest, when when we first saw like MGF do bets and collecting bets. That was <laughs> It was absolutely funny. We have Shook D coming up with Pineapple BP when he was actually meant to be getting buried by Jericho's comment and actually put him over in that sense. And they've, I think they've just done a much better job of it. Yeah. Gary, see from your point of view, because you do like a lot of fundraising and events as well. So you're used to places that have got like a large capacity of people. Um, what have you sort of taken from the wrestling companies going in the direction that they have? It's been it's been fascinating to watch because what the wrestling companies have been able to do uh, is really something that literally nobody else has been able to do. Um, I suppose it helps if you have links into the US government and you're able to get certain dispensations that other folk might not be able to get but I think I'm right in saying that WWE is the only sport that was I don't know if it still is the only sport that's going on but certainly was the only sport at the start for a while and social distancing um, has resulted in you know events of all shapes and sizes being cancelled um, I was I'm involved with a, a large event that happens every, every October here in the UK and we've had to cancel that this year because the, it looks like the social distancing requirements of it will mean that the venue is a fraction of its capacity and it's just it's just not practical to do it but yet WWE seem to have found a way of, of continuing to do it um, I've been you know Quacky's point's quite an interesting one about the sort of evolution of the presentation as um, we've seen them sort of going from arenas to performance centre with a small crowd to then no crowds to pre-taped shows to live shows and then a mix of both and now with some people in the audience um, and initially people in the audience at a distance and now there's there's no distance the street profits even going dancing amongst them all I think the presentation of the product got a lot better I think they've done a really good job at sort of making the performance centre look pretty cool in this lineup. but certainly I think it looks better now than it did even when they did the Wrestlemania but yeah, mm-hmm. WWE, you know, credit to them for being able to pull off shows uh, in an era when nobody else has been able to pull off any events now. Should they have been doing shows during this era and how strictly have they observed some of the requirements that one should be following uh, is a totally different question to answer. <laughs> yeah. Scott, what's been your hot take on everything that's been getting presented to us? Not only just like the content, just the way that different companies have been going about everything? I think it just depends like how certain companies have been handling them because in WWE's case, like when there's a whole thing of like 
the refusal to cancel WrestleMania, it feels like almost like the rumors are that Vince doesn't really see the coronavirus as really as big a deal, and it's basically almost a stubbornness, and that's why like he refuses to like cancel shows, whereas some other smaller companies, the wrestlers involved are really dependent on like shows running and getting paid for wrestling. So like places like Impact, they've done complete a big bulk of tapings in like an empty arena and then set their talent home and I've heard wrestlers from Impact because they're talking about how it's one of the safest environments, like how you impact test the performance to make sure everyone is safe and the way AEW have been doing things and like with New Japan, like halfway through each like New Japan Cup show, they uh, take a break to then sanitize and wipe down the ring for the safety of the athletes. So while some companies have been like being safer and it whereas you've got WWE who's seen as like putting their talent at risk because like they're telling they were telling people before like they shouldn't be wearing masks but the fact they were selling a bunch of WWE themed masks <laughs> on their own website like I, I don't even get that but for me my favorite company that's been handling this is the NWA because they've just forgotten doing wrestling altogether in any emptiness and just producing whole new original content on YouTube and as far as creativity I think this is weirdly one of the best periods for it because whether you're in an arena or if you're at home with some of these wrestlers, you've had to like think so outside the box in order to produce co- content, keep like yourselves relevant. Yeah, no, absolutely. I'm just going to throw open to just everyone here that out of the ones that we've already discussed, I mean, we've got WWE, Impact, AW, New Japan, NWA. Um, which one do you think is probably been the best direction? Just in terms of keeping people interested as well as keeping their wrestlers safe? AEW for me. I think uh, I'll say NWA because, well, the, the competitors are safe because they're all staying at home and they're all they do all the stuff that they're producing from home and it's like really unique because like, I know like they're not continuing storylines but they're able to produce whole new original content. Mm-hmm. Some of those companies you mentioned there, I, I, I don't have the time to watch them and keeping up with WWE is hard, hard enough with their 19 hours a week of content and <laughs> um, so whilst I think it's right to question how rigorous WWE have been following some of the procedures they put in place one of the things that we've given credit for is some uh, originality um, you know one being willing to embrace the arenas and two the cinematic stuff which I know we're probably going to talk about later on I think that you know credit or credit's due for for those things. Yeah, and Grant, do you think it'll be like the New Japan way that you prefer, or do you think some some other places have handled it well, given the circumstances as well? I feel a lot of them have still handled it really well. I mean, New Japan's way of doing it has been my favourite, and the big document they put out, all their guidelines, everything for the whole public to see, I thought was great, but AEW, I think, also had a good handling on it, and, well, Ring of Honor's just stopped altogether. Don't even know when they're starting back. Yeah, it's been it's a bit of a strange one. It's just like Ring of Honor, are they still there? Um, I think my two cents about all of this is probably see the way that they've, they've all gone about it different ways. Like you can see NWA, the way that they've gone has worked because of the way that they've actually done all their original content. New Japan, they could like they were at the time when this all kicked off, they were sort of like at the peak area. Um, so they kind of had no option but to really lock down and could actually still just go right okay we'll, we'll work our way back and just working with like with the empty arena shows just now it has worked for them and um, not gonna lie I have missed 
the crowd when it comes to New Japan shows, um, and also the fact that like they do disinfect the ring halfway through. It's just it's like right, okay, take a break, and all the 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 long uh, the young lions like around the ring are all wearing masks. Everybody's actually keeping social distancing as well. You notice that the commentators have got like their own little shark tanks, essentially. <laughs> um, AEW's worked like in a fun way because they're bound by a TV deal as well, so you've you've got to somehow keep the the TV people happy. So like, I think all like, saw something in the future when you had the coal mine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's like prediction early. It's like oh, this is what I'm going to need. I'm surprised he actually didn't bring it back. <laughs> I'm really surprised it ever. Um, but yeah, I think like AEW doing like their sweet set of tapings just in Georgia, having some fans around by the ring. Maybe the fans could have social distanced a little bit better, but they kept it to a very bare minimum. As well as like sending all the it's like once the talents of all wrestlers like where that's up, go home, and then for example, like the Bubbly Bunch was a good input. Of like taking taking the piss out of, like Zoom meetings and FaceTime calls, uh, and I think Impact again just doing like a whole mass set of tapings and then sending everyone home probably the bit like one of the better ways to go about it because then they can come back, do some anniversary, do a other other new set of tapings, and that can probably take them through to September while everybody like reevaluates the guidelines. I I just think WWE did start out on a good path, just they made it work. Um, or like me, me at home just sort of inputting my uh, own commentary or if it's like this match is scheduled for one fall and then it's like one fall or <laughs> clapping like clapping when it's like a good spot and they're like facing off you're like ah everybody claps just to sort of make it fun in its own way but I think once they brought in all the talent it's just like it hasn't worked it's, it feels too robotic in a way because they're, they're not getting a chance that should be themselves or actually like react in a different way to like what AEW have been doing because you get for example the gun club that have been hilarious as fans and then you get like the betting at ringside with Sean Spears and MJF and it, it's small things like that that it just makes you feel like yeah that they're actually having fun while being paid to be there as well instead of just being told what to chant or like what to boo, what to say. On that front, I've got to give a shout out to Britt Baker as well, who's been playing an absolute blinder in her relationship <laughs> with Tony Giovanni, especially putting some of friendship timeouts and passing those. <laughs> it's just been an absolute revelation. And it, yeah, obviously, it's a shame she's injured, but wow, the work she's putting in is just. The- it's also worked in like different circumstances where they've had to have people like JR having to stay at home, given for like health reasons and. Even if uh, Aaron Anderson and Tully Blanche should have been ringside, they always had masks on. Mm-hmm. So it's like, it's went safety first, especially like when it comes to JR and their older set and bringing Jericho in for commentary just saved it. Well, I we think um, we will be talking definitely more about that later. <laughs> but we're going to move on to the sort of impacts that it's all had when it comes to storylines and like changes that it's had to be make. So, Kwaku, see with uh, WWE, no crowds. Unfortunately, we had to witness Drew win the 
WWE Championship at WrestleMania in the Performance Center with no crowd. In comparison to how that would be, because I was sitting watching this year's Royal Rumble last night, actually, just reliving that moment where he eliminated Brock Lesnar. Mm-hmm. It is. It kind of feels like a wee shame, though, that this has had to happen. Yeah, it, it's, it's a huge shame, obviously, because especially when you look back at the story and in particular people that are regular listeners of us I'm assuming a lot would be from the UK like as I know from the figures and stuff we know the story of Drew McIntyre and when he got his first release from WWE well his first his only release from WWE I should say and how hard he worked and the things he said when he was getting his a Hall of Fame acceptance speech uh, from ICW was I'm going to be the first British born WWE champion and while he went and got it done that uh, little did we also know that he was the first British born Royal Rumble winner as well um, mm-hmm. but he always had that ch- that chase in his head of being a champion and it was just such a shame that we didn't get that final moment in front of the crowd and just seeing all the everyone in pubs and whatever going absolutely mad as if Archie Gable scored a goal again um, there, there's a wee one for you there Gary um, but it was just oh, it was, it was, what I liked was the bit at the end where he just reaches out to the camera and says thank you and you can tell how much that meant to him so it was still special for him mm-hmm. Gary, Quack is just sort of giving you a wee bit of a nostalgia kick there but what's your take <laughs> On uh, like the whole no crowds having impacts on st- such storylines like Drew winning at WrestleMania. I first to say that I've got to say I'm not, I wasn't born when Archie Gemmo scored that goal, Quacker. <laughs> <laughs> that was in the '78 World Cup. I'm not that old. <laughs> <laughs> they say I'll say is, do you remember when Robert the Bruce was cussing up my mouth? <laughs> um, I'm sorry, I will shut up for now. Uh, sorry, Sarah, what were we talking about there? <laughs> we were talking about the, like, the fact that storylines have to have like, an impact. Uh, with no crowds like with poor Drew. Well, I wouldn't yeah. say poor Drew. He won the title regardless, but there was no no crowds. Like we all had to basically sit in our house in quarantine and cheer. Whereas there would have been like mass gatherings and like walkabout would have been sold out, like that sort of stuff. Yeah, I think I mean going into WrestleMania, my expectations were pretty low because we had really seen uh, the empty arena shows that WWE had delivered up until then had about, usually had about 30 minutes worth of filler stuff or even longer, I think there was an episode of Smackdown wasn't it, where they showed the whole, whole Royal Rumble so heading into that, I was fairly my expectations were fairly low but I think, you know this, uh, and we talked about this when we did a WrestleMania review show, I think they exceeded expectations on that there were moments like you mentioned, Drew, the ladder match. You know, some of the spots, those guys, despite there being an empty arena, certainly didn't phone it in. And there were some really good spots in that, some heavy bumps that people took. And there's no reaction to it, but still they kept they kept doing it. I thought it was really interesting and still think it's really interesting to see how the, the wrestlers perf- perform 
or carry himself in an empty arena. Because there are some people like like the street prophets, whose as far as I'm concerned, their entrance in the empty arenas is exactly as they would have done it if there was twenty, eighty thousand people in the in the building. But then uh, on the flip side, you had Shayna Baszler at WrestleMania, no nonsense, walking to the ring, um, type of thing. So I think that's been really interesting to see. But I think there's some folk that there's undoubtedly it's harmed some storylines in some moments, but there are other folk that have absolutely shone in this period. You know, one that stands out for me is um, Sonia Deville, mm-hmm. who I think is um, I'm not sure that the the promos that she cut would have been anywhere near the same if um, if there'd been a crowd to to manage there. So it's like, and it's really surreal, fascinating because obviously part of training to be a wrestler is crowd psychology and there's no crowd crowd there there's nothing to bounce off against any type of not just wrestler but any type of performer there's no crowd for them to interact with so that must be almost really unsettling mm-hmm. Grant one thing I want to ask you is during the time that we've had for the COVID era we've actually had uh, a couple of debuts happen especially in NXT with Timothy Thatcher and Karrion Cross. do you think that the, the fact that we don't have any crowds right now has had an impact on like their debuts I definitely think it has um, Thatcher maybe not so much because unless you're quite like big on the indies and that Thatcher might have been a kind of an unknown but mm-hmm. Cross. He's was, he was well known from Impact and quite a big following and I'm sure everyone remembers that first entrance that he made mm-hmm. and the thought of the kind of reaction you could get with a crowd for that would have been completely unreal. Yeah, I think it would be sort of like the same when it comes to all the takeovers as well because we know that when there's crowds they do play to takeover entrances as well. Do you think like maybe when we get that first show back that is going to carry the same way as what you would hope it would. Yeah, I think like the first takeover with a, a decent sized crowd, even if it's not full capacity, if you've got a decent sized enough crowd, I think it's going to make it just pop that little bit more than what it already does. Mm-hmm. Do you think there's anybody that's sort of had a wee bit of an, a negative impact um, with the fact that there's no crowds, like for example, Otis being Mr. Money in the Bank? Yeah, Gronk. Um, what a waste of space that guy was. <laughs> that entrance. Oh my god! The biggest party he's there on the tracky. The biggest party in the world. No fucker there. It's like it's like he put an electric eel down his pants. And he's like trying to shake off of his leg, walking down. Like the hell is that? <laughs> biggest party that nobody's turned up to. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear, Gronk. <sighs> Sorry, Grad. <laughs> so, I mean, definitely, definitely, some folk have not had like like Otis's story has been brilliant, but it just doesn't have the same resonance when you've got no crowd to to bat off it. It's it, it, to me, it's it's more an issue for the Western style wrestling where they do lean heavily on the audience compared to Eastern style. Mm-hmm. No, definitely, Scott. What has been sort of your opinion when it comes to there being no crowds at all? Like, has it who for you has like had a positive and a, ne- a negative impact from it? I, I try to look at it like the different like competitors, like 
the Edge of Randy Orton story, I think, actually benefited from no fans because, mm-hmm. like, the promos that they had, especially Edge's ones in the lead up to WrestleMania, they were a lot more intense when he was, like, talking softly and his emptiness was silent. He was just focused on Edge's voice because, like, the week before Edge got one of his first promos in, like, the empty arena, the week before that, he had the segment between Orton and Beth Phoenix, and obviously the whole thing was set around the build to the end of the segment where Orton would hit her with the RKO to make it more personal between him and Edge. But mm-hmm. like, throughout the segment, there were people in the front row, a few smart fans in the front row going, RKO! Like, as soon as Orton came out, like, no, let it, let it build! So, like, that huge <laughs> benefited. But then there were, like, there are smaller moments, I think, you needed a crowd for, and it's not just in WRB, I think, it's, like, elsewhere, because, like, New Japan, you can get away with that a bit more because... Japanese fans, especially flights, most of the car are usually very quiet, respectful, and only like Parkerville occasionally. So, some Japanese wrestlers they might be slightly maybe able to adjust to an empty arena a bit easier than some more Western wrestlers. But uh, mm-hmm. looking at Impact, they've been teasing this big thing for Slammiversary coming up in a couple of weeks where like they're gonna have a big surprise, like someone from WWE is gonna show up or someone from Impact is coming. <laughs> but, like the idea of like you're teasing this big appearance and probably you'd want if you're hyping up with so much you'd want there would be people there to react like oh my god it's so and so but like if they come out and they come out and like there's nobody there it's gonna be like crickets like it's gonna devalue i think the impact of them showing up mm-hmm. oh absolutely gary i want to come to you because due to the recent global pandemic as i like to call it pandemic um we've seen changes in potential storylines as well because we know that um, the original person that was meant to challenge Bray Wyatt at WrestleMania was supposed to be Roman Reigns and that that obviously changed direction to Braun Strowman because Roman Reigns refused to come out of lockdown and we've seen the Intercontinental Championship be stripped off Sami Zayn because he again didn't want to break lockdown. Do you think that was sort of like good directions in terms of because it's done well for Braun? Um, but unfortunately, it's not done the best for Sammy. Yeah, I the you, you said Bray Wyatt. There. I think you meant Goldberg. Uh, Goldberg, yeah. yeah. Uh, I think I pretended that didn't happen. That's why. Uh, <laughs> I just wanted to point it out in case anybody thinks that I didn't know what I was talking about. Then. <laughs> no, no, <laughs> it's just I, I just Goldberg. I I pretended that that never happened. <laughs> so yeah, um, he's a bit touchy since I told him he was alive when Archie Gable scored. <laughs> <laughs> Fire tonight. Uh, yeah, I think that you know WWE's had many moments over the years to pull the trigger with Braun Strowman, and it takes a global pandemic to force them to go with Braun. And Braun's title victory was incredibly underwhelming, as far as I was concerned. It was um, nobody really cared about the match. There was you know WWE didn't even try to make a build up for it or find a way to make it happen, so they weren't even that interested in it either. So. Roman Reigns um, versus Goldberg in the big arena would have got folk interested in it. It would have undoubtedly been a short match. Um, but Roman versus Braun, yeah, it was uh, sorry, uh, Goldberg versus Braun was very underwhelming. I mean, certainly, you know, Braun uh, in the weeks that followed initially, I thought looked good as the champion. He's now gone off as they've tried to find something else to do to spin out this Bray Wyatt's story um, and put him off with Miz and Morrison that's that's been somewhat underwhelming but certainly the Intercontinental title it's such a shame because Sami Zayn seemed to be sort of 
I think he was floundering for some time, and then him, Cesaro, and Shinsuke made the most of what they were giving, and he was really coming at you know really shining in that annoying heel role, and it's such a shame that that's been cut short. So much also threw things up into the episodes. The cruiserweight title was concerned as mm-hmm. well. So this, you know, there's a couple of examples, but there are so many others. Uh, of different things that they've had to had to do and pivot along the way. Then the Continental title, um, you know, being a bit of a hot potato, but now with AJ Styles, that will be good to see where that goes. But yeah, such a shame that Sammy. I think such a shame that Sammy's run um, has come to an end. And one can understand, and I think WWE, I doubt very much the WWE would hold it against. Um, Roman Reigns, mm. I could see them holding it, the holding something against Sami Zayn though, because they have a wee bit of reputation for being petty at times. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was going to say, Quacky, do you agree with that statement? But that laugh sort of gives it away. <laughs> <laughs> oh yes, oh yes. <laughs> oh, what's your what's your hot take on it? Uh, well. Like the whole thing, like the Sami Zayn, or just everything in general? Just everything in general. Give it, like, just have at it, Quacko's Corner. Okay, I did have a point about Karen Cross um, in particular. Now, his entrance is the work of magic, let's be honest, let's be real. It's absolutely fantastic. I actually think that no crowds in a weird way actually helps it because if you look and compare to when The Fiend first came out against Finn Balor, and what as amazing as it was, what I didn't like was at the end of it was this is awesome chance, right? You may think it, but why say it? Like, it's not, that's not what that reaction's for. And I'm not going to be a, a crowd police and say, oh, you shouldn't do that or whatever, but <laughs> at the same time, I can have an opinion on I just think that wasn't an appropriate chant for that time. And whereas I think that Karen Cross's entrance may have got that, when silence is actually yeah. just let them do their thing and take it in. And then I, when I first saw that, I just went, ho, 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 just yeah. like that. And that, that's all you need, just like your little introvert reaction. That's what is needed. Not, this is awesome. And then get it carried across, because that's the thing that I think would just ruin it. With regards to this, intercontinental belt like it's a bit of a shame because yeah like Gary said he was Sammy was floundering then he got this opportunity I'm still not convinced the whole Shinsuke and Cesaro faction thing works yeah maybe it's I'm looking at it wrong that it's meant to be so annoying that it, it annoys me that I shouldn't like it but at the same time I can't just help but not like it because I don't like it if you know what I mean yeah. See, there's one thing that I picked up as well when watching NXT. It was when Scarlett was laying down the challenge with Adam Cole. That's mm-hmm. when I think there could have been it benefited from silence instead of having the NXT yes. talent chanting fall and pray. Mm-hmm. Like, I yeah. think that actually took it away mm-hmm. from the entire thing. It, like, just her backing off and then a, a wee shot of Adam Cole with the hourglass. That would have been perfect. Yeah, I mean, Sarah, those, that's a really great point. I mean, the, so many of the reactions from that audience and the dirty commas is just not authentic. And it, it hurts the moment. Like, you could imagine in Raw what the live crowd would have been like. The Christian came out and ran the autumn challenge. Um, I, 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 
I don't think it was you know the it's good that there's some atmosphere in these arenas now, but you know, just you know less script please. Let people yes. react to what we're seeing. Mm-hmm. Sorry, Gary just mentioned Christian and that just makes him even more my favourite. Have I told you I've met I've met Christian before? Yeah, yeah, yes, 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 yes you have. He's very handsome. <laughs> Scott, what has been your hot take, um, especially when it comes to storylines that maybe need the reactions? Like they've put a lot of storylines, or they claim to put a lot of storylines on hold because they believe that they need reactions for it. Yeah, like talking about the NXT people, like or like the NXT trainees that are in the crowd. Like, yeah, so often, like you think, like it doesn't seem so genuine those reactions. As guy was saying. I wouldn't be surprised if they had a bigger flash in you on signs somewhere in the PC saying applause or boo. <laughs> we man going around the outside of the ring. But yeah, like, especially like we, this IC thing, the IC title, like, a title has not been like that valued for in some time. Like, previous Jeremy's have gone like weeks without even being featured on TV, and then all of a sudden Sammy, because he's not showing up, is getting stripped of the title. Which kind of goes against the whole idea that WWE claims say, Oh, we're not going to punish performers who say they don't feel safe coming to these tapings. Well, like, you're kind of not really showing that with the way you're treating, like, Sami Zayn in the ICT title, especially as given the ending of his first reign of a singles title since he came in the main roster. And, like, yeah, I think, yeah, it's okay to have an audience now with these trainees, but, like, half the time you wonder, like, they, do they re- are they really cheering because they're enjoying what they're seeing or they've just been told how to deal so like it's, it's better when you have an actual audience who like will just naturally give their reaction absolutely Quacky yeah. I know that you you're, you're always full of points when it comes to this sort of thing so yeah like when we're talking about impacts of storylines like another thing we got to mention is the fact that WWE had like a clear out like they basically got rid of or released a lot of superstars and future endeavor to us stuff like that and one storyline that emerged out of it that was very very appealing to many people was obviously Drake Maverick mm-hmm. and the fact that he got so much buy-in from people and it ended up with Triple H offering him a contract right after his match, which um, which was just uh, it, it just captured the heartstrings of so many people. And as a result, uh, obviously with uh, Jordan Devlin, who was a cruiserweight champion, we now have the uh, I keep messing up their name. I know I'm bad, but we have that new stable coming out, which is just absolutely epic, and I'm now looking forward to see what comes of it because it just having Fantasma, Quacko Wild, and uh, Real Mendoza is just. It just has the crooks to be just amazing. You see, I'm very happy because I finally found out what happened to them after weeks and weeks of not knowing. <laughs> um, but Grant, one thing actually, because um, I was going to push this to you as well, because this has been a change in direction after Drake Maverick got released, um, that he managed to get himself like back over with the audience in a very, very different way uh, and more authentically as well. But when it came to the Cruiserweight tournament, from what I have read, I don't know if this is actually true, but the original push was meant to be for Kushida. So, um, as well, because I, I already made this point, I can't remember who I made the point to, um, that the, the, masked, the masked ninjas, as I like to call them, were attacking anyone who had faced Kushida in the upcoming weeks towards the tournament, um, which only just sort of reiterated my theory. Um, do you think that sort of 
like what's your opinion on the, like the, po- the possible change if that was meant to be the push for Kushida but ended up uh, with a change of direction like midway through I mean it's something that I just don't feel it would have worked for Kushida as a heel because I've always known him for his New Japan days. He was always a face. He was. He's always me, too pure. WWE just does not know how to use Kushida. That's my opinion on them. They just don't seem to know what they've actually got there when they've got one of the best junior weights to ever grace the world. Mm-hmm. And do you think, like, see if um, like they hadn't actually decided to release everybody and they'd went the way that the tournament that I think it was meant to be with um, Fantasma and Kushida? being in the final and the whole reveal do you think that could have been like a, a decent enough direction and do you think that might still happen further down the line I think that could have worked because if you had Kushida and Phantasma and the sort of like the final Phantasma still being the heel Kushida being the good guy mm-hmm. Kushida, Kushida could have won the title feuded with Phantasma and dependent on this is the big if with Devlin because Devlin was kind of playing up being a heel cruiserweight champ mm-hmm. you would then have a great match for a the interim champ against the claimed proper champ. <laughs> the claimed proper champ. The interim <laughs> champ. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so we've had we've had a nice sweet discussion about like the actual impacts and thought of what it had and what we think has possibly been like the reason for some things. And um, we're just gonna take a quick break. And for this we are going to go back over one of a match that we will be talking about a little bit later and it was one of the highlights of Wrestlemania and it is the uh, the promo right before the Firefly Funhouse match so we'll see you in a bit Hello, my name's Jack Graham. Hello, my name's Scott McLeod. And I'm David Hockney. You can catch us hosting one of the greatest shows in the history of podcasting, Saturday Draft Live. You can tune in every Saturday to see who on the podcast has the best chance of winning the latest season of our Fantasy Draft. As always, you can catch Saturday Draft Live on the Suplex Retweet Extra Feed on your preferred podcasting platform. I know you all must be asking yourselves, selves, why John Cena? I know, I know. It's because John Cena totally destroyed you six years ago at WrestleMania, thus beginning a downward spiral of negativity and failure in your personal and professional life. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we were, we. Time. Time can either hurt you or heal you. <laughs> so I, Bray Wyatt, would like to officially say, John Cena, I thank you and I forgive you. <laughs> However, there is a catch. John Cena 
also helps create something else. A being built on pain, fueled by vengeance. He is waiting at WrestleMania. And unlike me, he is not so forgiving. Because life, life is a circle. And no matter what beast you make of yourself or how bright one side is, inevitably, the dark side comes again. But that, that's the beauty of a circle. Round and round we go. Let me in. Gentlemen, welcome to Eat, Sleep, Suplex, Retweet. And we are back. I hope you um, we enjoyed the reliving of the Firefly Funhouse Pro that was happening just before WrestleMania. I know um, Rambling Rabbit was very, very happy to remind him that John Cena basically buried him at WrestleMania six years ago. Such good shit. <laughs> uh, this is also a reminder that I am joined with Quacko, Scott, Grant and Gary talking about the COVID era of wrestling. We've talked a bit about the the impact of what COVID-19 has had on the wrestling world, but I had to I had to get the listeners involved just to sort of see what their perks have come from it. So one person I was speaking to, former panelist David Campbell. Sorry, the greatest of all time, David Campbell. <laughs> that, <laughs> yes, that David Campbell. That he, David Campbell. The oh, yeah. David Campbell. The, the one and only. Person I got in touch with me. Like David Campbell. <laughs> I'm sorry, there's only one David. There's only one David, and that's Hawk Naddick in here, so what you're talking about. Oh, <laughs> he's, he's one of the greatest guys ever, Grant. That's a lie. and what David Campbell had actually said to me is that in his opinion um, one of the people that have flourished in the whole uh, empty arenas has been Asuka and that she has been the star of the show absolutely her talking has been exceptional (laughs) I have no idea what she's saying but I love it that's I in in the words of um, uh, uh, Mr. Mr. Vincent Kennedy McMahon that's some good shit (laughs) <laughs> but when I went to go and speak to some of the listeners, so we've had people saying that like we've had innovative match stipulations or scenarios that you maybe m- might not have gotten. Um, so we will talk about all these in a greater detail in a wee moment. Um, but we've had like the Boneyard match, we've had the Firefly Funhouse match, we had Corporate Money in the Bank. And uh, we've had like cinematic matches, for example, one of our personal favourites has been the Stadium Stampede match, which we will love to chat about in a wee bit. We've also had people saying that some promos have worked, um, it's better off with like the, the usual what chants, or if you're in Chicago, uh, CM Punk chants, that sort of stuff. Um, and we've also had people saying that 
like the cinematic matches have been spot on, especially when it comes to getting in with creative and just sort of going outside the box. So, Gran, I want to come to you first and we'll talk briefly about, actually not even briefly, we'll go right in on it and we'll start with um, corporate money in the bank. <laughs> that was a, a complete comedy mess. <laughs> That's all we have to describe that match. <laughs> If you can even call it a match. <laughs> I mean, I mean how, how slow is that lift? That's why I want to know ask if it's a lift after that. I, <laughs> I, I like the fact that they all waited for her to jump. If that was Zack Sabre Jr. waiting, he just would have moved. Yeah. She would have landed on nothing but floor. It's like, if someone tried uh, to moonsault you and you're stand there, you're an idiot. Simple as that. Move. It's one of them. It's one of them. Cut into the the elevator so often. Just elevator music. Just Asuka just there. Just I'm just looking, like just whistling to yourself. Just like all the way to the roof. Right, well, Scott, what was your takeaways from uh, the corporate money bank? Like, we'll start with say like the the introductions. We just we just say to for the both the men and the women. I just like I didn't know what was going to happen. I thought like are they all just going to show up individually in the uh, to the building? Are they going to be in the full gear? And then the first thing you hear is the sirens that start Lacey Evans' music as she wanders into the lobby in full gear. But the funniest one I think to me is Baron Corbin come up in his full king garb in the middle of the gym. It's just so out of place, and that's why it works so well. Like I know the whole point of this match was make your way to the roof. For me, the best stuff of this match was before they got to the roof because anyway, I was kind of underwhelmed by what happened on the roof because I was like no I want more shenanigans in the building what you mean more shenanigans there was a murder on the roof there was an, an attempted murder there was a murder of them. I, murder is not fun the food fight that was fun <laughs> <laughs> Murder's not fun is it Kwaku as king of the lover of comedy matches I want to throw it to you uh, what was your big takeaways from corporate money in the bank I mean, well, the intros just looked like the extreme version of The Apprentice with them co- coming in with their gear. It just looked so funny. And my favourite bit in it all, it, I, I still like the food fight. The food fight was just hilarious the way yeah. Otis just screams it. But I also loved AJ Styles and Daniel Bryan busting into Vince McMahon's office and it's just the way they, they appear sheepish and they're like trying to fix the chairs and stuff after fighting like these two badass former WWE champions scared like that and it's just incredible to watch um, just the whole thing was just absolutely incredible I don't know what I was going to expect what I was expecting or what was going to happen but it just it just seemed like a really weird MTV Cribs of WWE corporate headhouse. It was pretty cool to watch. Yeah, I think one of my takeaways, and I hope that they go in a direction for a storyline with this, is Baron Corbin breaking the mirror. Like, seven years bad luck. I'm really, really hoping that they go in a directional storyline for that. And they just bring it up like once a year, it gets like a big stroke of bad luck. <laughs> well, more like seven years bad booking. Have you seen what happened to him recently? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I kind of hope that they sort of make a wee Amish to it like every now and again so that's the reason that he's like having such a rough time right now there's no way WWE could run a storyline for seven years they don't have they can't run it for seven ever. months let alone seven months <laughs> better even seven weeks grand <laughs> see with money in the bank as well it was a whole make your way up the corporate ladder but when you had like small small things like dude love 
appearing. Who was it? Death Love? Father, Father Love. Father Love. I get everyone mixed up. I, I, I didn't watch wrestling at that time, so please forgive me. <laughs> I mean, a lot, a lot of cameo appearances were, were, were well done. Like, that was... I gotta give that and who who's it that got murdered again? Who's the poor guy that kept on getting murdered? Oh yeah, Mysterio. Mysterio yeah, kept on getting murdered. But he got squashed in between Naya and Otis. And then choked <laughs> out by choked out by Shayna. Yeah. <laughs> and then thrown off the roof. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we'll talk about we'll talk about what happened on the roof after this because apparently according to According to Scott, there was no shenanigans, but Gary, the the attempted murder of Rey Mysterio. And just, Alistair Black. <laughs> and Alistair Black, actually. Yeah, we, we know that Alistair Black has clearly got like a deal with the devil. Mm-hmm. So I think he like we knew he'd be fine, but poor Dominic Mysterio would have been like without a, without a dad for the second time. Ladder matches for Dominic must bring back bad memories. <laughs> It was, as the guy, as the guy said, it, it was you know a lot of comedy up until now. When they finally got to the roof, the the in ring action was nowhere near as long as I thought it was going to be, or indeed it should have been. There was very little of that. I think Asuka got through most of that match without actually touching anybody else. Um, so I thought it's because she took the lift, that's why. Yeah, the smell <laughs> yes. of the world. Um, uh, there, uh, it was, you know, I, I enjoyed that. I mean, when Dana Brooke put that title down in the meeting room, I remember, <laughs> say, uh, I remember saying to, uh, to Ollie, I was watching it with, is that Dana Brooke really win? And then, surely, surely not. <laughs> <laughs> And we've seen Stephanie uh, appear and, and correct that one, but yeah, I thought that you know it was a lot of fun. Um, it, it, is, it was what it was. I thought they'd done a good good job with it. Um, but the bit in, on the roof, I would have liked to have seen a wee bit more physicality there. There was, I think, even some of the guys didn't even make the roof, didn't they? Yeah, the majority of them didn't make the roof. I mean, yeah, we had like the wee scuffle at the very top of the ladder, including again Baron Corbin. But <laughs> and Elias being apparently able to teleport because he shows up out of nowhere, and then in one of the next shots he's not there. Like, have you been able to teleport this whole time? You waited <laughs> till now to use it. <laughs> Where was that when you got thrown off the balcony? <laughs> Absolutely. We're going to move back to WrestleMania because I sort of jumped the timeline a little bit because um, I'm still convinced that um, Barry Allen has put us in flashpoint and he's trying to fix it. But the Boneyard match that we have learned was actually The Undertaker's last match. Scott, I'll start with you because we didn't know what to expect when it came to the Boneyard match. So break it down. How were you feeling throughout this entire thing? Yeah, because I was more looking forward to the Funhouse match because I know how creative Bray Wyatt can be. But it's like, what are they going to do this? Because like, I was kind of done with the Undertaker at this point, as well as the storyline had been built. Like match wise, like every time he came back, it just seemed less worth it. And then the first shot you see is Taker coming along, driving with Metallica in the background as he drives in, like like every, one of these films where like. We've got like a Liam Neeson s like retired badass coming back to for one more fight, thing, and he's fighting this random army of druids, and and mm-hmm. Kayfabe be killed off the Good Brothers because they've never been seen again. 
Mm. Man, that's too soon for me. Too soon. Yeah, so we, we learned that, you know, Undertaker did literally kill them off because they, they got, you know, future endeavours not that long after. Thank you, people. <laughs> yeah, the Undertaker killed them. That's what happened. Yeah. Grant, I will talk to you, like, about, you know, Undertaker killing off the Good Brothers and their involvement in the actual match itself. Oh, so, I mean, that was... Their, their appearance was actually brilliant. It was a complete, like hell of a bump they took with like their murders but you know it's, it's been it's probably the most lucrative like murder victims i've ever seen they're really making well off the back of it you sounded like you're gonna cry grant i was just i was just like i wasn't ready for that why 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 the good brothers why gallows why anderson why festus why festus <laughs> um but like carrying on with like the match itself, we had like small comedy spaces as well when AJ thought he had actually buried The Undertaker and got on the tractor. And all you see is a gift worthy coming out from behind him. Quacko. Oh, meme- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's gift worthy and meme worthy, but Quacko. <laughs> what do you think was going through AJ Styles' head when that happened? Victory, vindication, everything. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> He is a he 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 is a when he's especially when he's with the good brothers and the OC and the club and everything. He does have an air cockiness about him, so it's quite funny just to see him get his come up. Is kind of like when Ken Kennedy finally got into the car and thought he was going to run over Kane. It's a little I'm not laughing. You try to put that into every show, Quacko. I mentioned Viscera once or twice and you go on <laughs> off at me all the time, but any time you just squeeze that in. And yet sometimes very much just to get Viscera onto my show. <laughs> look, look, look at him trying to have the moral high ground when he's just as bad as me. Well, we're going to have the Viscera special and it's all been confirmed now for Christmas. Oh, the Christmas special, the two-parter we're doing in Christmas. <sighs> Yeah. You know, if you I'm want to slap yeah. Well, you're not on the panel, Grant. So, oh, but he's still letting it happen. I've got to slap him for it, regardless. <laughs> you say that now, but you'll listen to it and you'll love it. <laughs> I want to quickly. We're going to actually dive into the whole uh, outcome from the Boneyard match on next week's show, um, when the guys have a wee look at the Undertaker Last Ride series, and um, because we actually learned that that was his final match. Do you think it was probably the best way for him to, to finally hang up the boots? Yeah. I'll just open that to everyone. Yeah. No. Oh, yeah. okay. Tell me why. Tell because me why. Because AJ should have went over if that was his last match. I'm a believer. You put the, oh, you put the guy over and you go out. Yeah, you go out on your back. I, I, I would have said no initially until I had seen the documentary and it was almost like... Um, Moby Dick, he's searching for the this moment, and eventually when he get you know the Undertaker was seen through it, he's looking for this final ending that to go out in a high, and then when he gets that good match, he's like oh I can do this, I, I can get another match, and he could never just never come to an end. But then he got the bad match, the Goldberg match, and and so on, and um, he would then think, well, I can't go out on that note. So it was nice in the way that you know, they did this, and it, I think it exceeded everybody's expectations, including theirs, and, and the reaction to it on on the night of, of Mania and Social was phenomenal. 
Uh, so ordinarily, I would have said um, also I would have agreed that uh, Undertaker should have put, put them over, but the, the you know the Undertaker getting to go out on a positive note was really good to see, particularly to see the sort of, you know how tormented he was about ending his career on on that documentary. Mm-hmm. For me, like I think everyone's right. There's no like right or wrong answer because something that Grant says is absolutely spawned that it's tradition that you go out on your final match on your back. However, let's be honest, the real Undertaker is something special, is something different that it, you you can't really say traditional because Undertaker is the. Let's be honest, he's a the biggest part of wrestling over the years let's be honest let's be real but you can also like look at if you want you can look at the difference between what was meant to be his retirement match at wrestlemania with roman reigns to the way he went out here so like obviously with roman we had jr on commentary then he put his hat gloves and leather jacket in the middle of the ring and walked it and left it there and that was epic to see however this time we saw him ride it out and put the the Undertaker fist up sign, whatever, the lights came up, the flames, and he rolled out into the dark. And that one for me personally was just as fitted as an ending. So it just depends on what you personally feel worked for you more in this in that sense, if you get what I mean. <laughs> you talk you talk about riding off into the sunset is a metaphor for like wrapping up his career. He literally ended that match by riding off. Like you can't get a more perfect End and final shot than that. And it's not as if he was like burying a young up and coming talent on his way out. Age is not actually that much younger than Taker is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think like at the time we probably didn't know because I was always under the impression that you know Undertaker would probably just die in the ring, like just go out like literally in his last match um, until he physically couldn't go anymore. So uh, being under the impression that it's like, oh no, he's probably going to go on have like maybe one more feud with someone or get like the feud that we never feel like we got earlier on in life but no I think it was probably it was a good way I mean even if AJ Styles took one of the most horrific bumps off the top of that shed and yeah it's it's horrible but Scott I want to move on to your favorite match of like WrestleMania was the Firefly Funhouse it's what you were most looking forward to we've seen matches similar um, when they've tried to do cinematic matches, um, especially with Bray Wyatt before, when they've tried it with like Randy Orton, um, and it didn't quite work out the way that you know everybody had wanted. But the Firefly Funhouse was definitely something different. Um, so, what was your your hot take on it? Oh, I, I loved it because like the thing with like the difference between this and like the Boneyard matches, if they had a crowd there, you could have easily done a Taker Asia one on one match. And he'd be as good as he is. He could have found a way to help Taker, like put together a good match despite his age and his injuries and all that. But see now why I've had a WrestleMania match before, so they needed that something special. And like, so they put this together, and it's almost like Colin Cena out. And Cena apparently was suggesting things as well. He was very much involved, which is good to see. And also, you're taking all these shots at Cena for all like burying people and not putting Wyatt over. For me, I don't know why, but just the biggest like, shocking moment for me is when Wyatt started singing Nikki Bella's theme song. Because <laughs> <laughs> like, they mentioned the relationship before, like you had Vicky Lynch talking about it not long after it happened. 
and um, but just like it was one of the things like you don't expect them to go there or bring up stuff like that and i just love like how does how do they get through a bit like that with a straight face of them just bringing up oh mind you mind you and mickey we're gonna get married yeah i think like <laughs> that was one thing i probably didn't expect especially because they haven't really talked about it even in the bella's book John Cena isn't actually mentioned as John Cena, he's mentioned as Nikki's ex and also even in Total Bellas, he's just a he's just a WWE wrestler that Nikki used to be engaged to. Like he isn't actually named, he's like he who shall not be named. <laughs> so I think that was like especially when Bray Wyatt just broke out with the you you can look but you can't touch also, I was floored, I was deed. Absolutely deed. Yeah. That and then the, the Eric Bishop parody with the NWO was a nice touch, I think, as well, especially seeing Eric Bischoff responding to it, despite the fact it was not long after he got fired. Yeah, and Kwaku, it had one of um, one of the things that you've already quoted tonight uh, with the Vince McMahon puppet with the devil horns. <laughs> well, I was going to use a quote there that, and then thought, it's just so funny, like, <laughs> Because Bray was just like, what I loved was like a nostalgia trip and bringing in so many different characters of um, of the basically like the characters of John Cena with the Thug Life, his first appearance against uh, Undertaker as well. Bray as like the not the fiend, but when he had like the the white family and stuff like that, going right right all the way back and just bringing it back to our present time because that's what the Firefly Funhouse uh, when Ramblin' Rabbit was talking and stuff, it was bringing that all that back and The Fiend was addressing all of that and put a final end to that chapter so in my way it was just, it was just amazing I loved it <laughs> Gary, now and you've actually just like quietly messaged and just said that, you, that it wasn't really your favourite so why do you and I'm going to use air quotes, hate the Firefly Funhouse match. I, I absolutely hated it. It was a piece of nonsense as far as I was concerned. And as wrestling fans, we uh, often have people uh, make fun of the thing that we enjoy. I would have been absolutely embarrassed to show that match, if you can even call it a match, to anybody that's not involved with wrestling. Yes, it was full of little inside jokes that some of the audience got. A lot of them wouldn't have got. Many of them. It was, as far as I was concerned, it was you know a piece of my life, a piece of time in my life I'll never get back. I was sitting watching it with my six-year-old son who had absolutely no idea what was going on, and throughout it kept saying, you know, when's the match going to start? Um, <laughs> I actually preferred the Viking Prophets uh, cinematic match to this one. Whoa, there was what? Match in that match. Mm-hmm. That wasn't even a match either. <laughs> At least they wrestled a little bit. <laughs> Did they? One of them hit you with a bowling ball. No, you guys are just trying to trigger me here because I could go on all day about the Viking, Pro- uh, Viking Prophets, the whole build-up. I loved it. I absolutely oh. loved it. Can I just say, whilst we've been talking to you, WWE, they did the these two matches at WrestleMania. Uh, I've noted, and I think they've done seven cinematic matches since in Torso. So, Boneyard, Firefly, Money in the Bank, Viking Profits, 
Gargano and Champa, Dream and Cole, and the Swamp match will make it seven. And mm. that's April, June, and a wee bit of July. Seven matches. Yeah, that'll be coming up this Sunday for Extreme Rules. Yep. Uh, what, a 10 week period? I mean, what else are you going to have to do? We'll, we'll talk about that a bit later, actually. Um, if we fit, if we feel cinematic matches will still have a place um, later on once COVID has decided um, that we're going to be unburnders. <laughs> um, but we'll talk about probably one of the biggest cinematic matches that's happened in recent times. And Grant, I'll start with you um, because this is very, very up your street, especially because it is very DDT-esque and that was the Stadium Stampede match. By far my favourite cinematic match of them all by a full country mile, all because Hangman Sammy the Horse. Incredible. <laughs> <laughs> the fact that someone dubbed Father Ted's My Lovely Horse over that just made it so much better. Wow. Well, it was a lovely horse. <laughs> it was a very lovely horse, and he was such a good boy waiting from outside the bar. Plus, even, even my brother was huge on it, and especially the uh, matter-of-fact bit with the pool. <laughs> Every time the camera went underwater and Matt Hardy is just grinning from ear to ear, like, this is the best thing I've ever done in my life. Let's do this again. It was more the changing. It's like, first of all, Santana Ortiz are like, I can't swim. You're like, wait, what? <laughs> it's like, it's like, it's like not even five feet of water. It's like, you can stand. But the intrication of Matt Hardy claiming he brought the water from the Lake of Reincarnation um, and then go through each variation of Matt Hardy. It was, it was sort of like, uh, yeah, we do acknowledge that this, this guy has a past, but also we're going to make a joke out of it in a way. There were so many jokes. I mean, like Jericho getting hit with the football just made me think of the Simpsons. Man getting hit by football. <laughs> oh, oh my groin! <laughs> or or the, the excessive celebration after the 100 yards of Northern Light suplexes. Well, yeah, that, that was something like you did. I don't think you expected um, it was Matt that did it, that you to actually keep going and going and going. It was just like the way it cut away to something else, cut back, and he's still going. <laughs> Are you just like, did they stop or did they just actually keep going and they'll take a break in between times? Excessive celebration, minus 15 points. What? <laughs> I mean, the Funhouse had a lot of like insider references. The Stadium Stampede had a football on the groin. <laughs> exactly. And the world's most craziest looking one winged angel I've ever seen. Oh, I mean, yeah. According to our recent like, Talkie Jericho, like, it, it was raining like while they were filming, so there's like a big pool of water where they were gonna go off the platform, and like Gary and Sam were apparently really scared that something was gonna go wrong, like they were gonna slip on like the like final shot of the match. <laughs> it's like no, no, Sammy, we're just gonna murder you. <laughs> For, you want this to get my job? Give the give the poor laddie PTSD when it comes to golf carts. <laughs> The two, the two great moments in it, or all three, I should say, was the very start when they when they blew the whistle to start it, and then the way they just all run together and like were just started drop kicking. It just reminded me of the Anchorman fight, <laughs> 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 and when Jake Hager met uh, uh, Hangman Page at the in the bar, and they were just sat there drinking at first, then they started fighting. <laughs> As Jericho challenging the play, and they he went into the tent with Ed with Obrador to every like the fact that he 
went into the tent to challenge the players. It's so funny. I love, I love, absolutely love this match. See, Gary, so this was probably like a different end of the spectrum from what the Firefly Funhouse match. So, did Ollie understand most of the references going on, or did he, has he not watched this match? He's not seen uh, the stadium stampede apart from the the the, the horse, right? Because yeah, everybody needs to see that. <laughs> I mean, absolutely. Um, but what was your? Because like, is this more up your street when it comes to cinematic matches? I mean, they they proper went all out with the actual stadium, uh, getting Justin Roberts to do like the, the announcing, uh, the different entrances as well. <laughs> Yeah, I, I I would compare the stadium stampede. I think it's better than this, but I would put it more in line of the Money in the Bank uh, type match uh, rather than comparing it to the Firefly Funhouse and so on. Um, it was just a you know the ensemble of it. There was just so many moments in this match that were entertaining, and um, it, yeah, it, it was one of those ones that did exceed expectations. And you just wonder in years to come when people look back at this. Uh, you want what? What will they make of some of these? What will folk in years to come make of some of these matches? You know, we said um, when we were talking about WrestleMania 36. You know, Stephanie opens actually doesn't use the word coronavirus. So in 20 years' time, when somebody puts that on, will anybody know what has actually happened here? I can't mm-hmm. wait for people to look back at some of these matches and think, what the hell? Yeah, they're gonna they're gonna wonder like what happened to us, or it's like if you want to get your pal into wrestling. It's like, what have you been doing during this this lockdown? It's like, well, Stadium Stampede, this is a good match for you to watch. Imagine in 20 years' time somebody puts on Backlash 2020 and they see the Viking Prophets. (laughs) (laughs) I mean... I'm sorry, I need to bring this up here, because it's been mentioned. Go for it. Right, now Viking Profits, right, as, let's be honest, has been a great build-up, right? Because, see, when we've talked about wrestling in the past, where you have two faces fighting off with each other, there's never always, like, a really good build-up to it. It's quite rare. And you've got a face here versus a baby face here. And just the way they've been building up with anything you can do, we can do better. And it's just been so funny seeing them compete, seeing the random people that somehow like Ivar for no apparent reason. It's just been so funny. Akira Tozawa's ninjas, I'm sorry, they're just <laughs> hilarious. You know what I mean? They're just hilarious. And if you just remove yourself and just take it for what it's just funny and it's brilliant. I, I, I actually think that this rivalry has actually benefited because I couldn't imagine it being like they, they had a rivalry in NXT it was more like the promos, like the promo that won it like when when uh, Monte said Viking uh, Raiders, if that's your real name, that was a good moment or the actual matches they had was absolutely amazing but this throughout has just been absolutely fantastic. I still think Montez throwing the axe and it goes far and then a police car comes up with the axe through the window and through my neck. <laughs> I think like, the one thing I took away from that um, Viking Raid, uh, the Viking Raiders and the Street Profits one was the fact that they managed to kill Braun Strowman's car as well. Yes. <laughs> it's like just playing back to the past storyline with Miz and Morrison, but it was the power of the turkey leg that done it for me. It's like all about all the turkey leg. Yeah, it's not even going to address Ivar. the elephant in the room, though. <laughs> like the, the elephant <laughs> in the room. I don't know what you're talking about, Ivar. 
Like, like, did Bruce and Vince just look and go, hey, look, he's Japanese, let's make him a ninja? <laughs> no, Vince, that's not how it works. Aye, <laughs> ah, and, and bring in a guy that's taller than the big show to officially make his debut on WWE as a masked ninja. Yep. What the fuck? The giant ninja, that was the best bit of the whole thing, I think. But everything else, like the whole Viking Rio trade, I think it's been a load of pish. <laughs> I feel like this is, <laughs> this is what I mean how Quack see the first show that we do back Scott Quack who's going to aim right square between your eyes with oh, tape with tape <laughs> with, a, with a turkey leg <laughs> with a turkey leg but yeah but we'll, conti- we'll continue on um, just a sweet discussion um, because cinematic matches have sort of been brought in just as a sort of replacement to have a little bit more fun and to provide maybe something a little bit different because you can't really have uh, the crowds. So I want to ask each of you, and I'll start off with Kwaku, will cinematic matches still have a place when crowds return? Yes, if the rivalry is right for it. Don't make it a cinematic match for just the sake of it. Just if the rivalry and the way that it's been built up is right, all for it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Scott, would you agree? I'd like to see them when the crowds come back, but I doubt that they'll do them because the reason they've been doing them so frequently is like the idea of like breaking up like a whole pay-per-view filled with like matches in front of basically no people and then put, throwing in a cinematic match to kind of break it up, it adds something more to a show. Whereas now if you've actually got crowds in there, a lot of fans won't want to pay the money you come see a pay-per-view, especially if it's a big four pay-per-view, so then mm-hmm. come and see a match on for like 20 minutes on a screen. So like if you want to do that, you can just watch it at home on the network. So I think it's just been used almost like a means to an end like during this empty arena period, whereas sadly, as much as I'd like to see them, I doubt we'll see much of it once the crowds come back. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Gary, would you would you say that we still have a place when crowds can return? Yeah, yes, I would say, but in a much more limited use. As I mentioned, in WWE used seven or of them in the last uh, few months. So yes, they should have. Yes, they will have a place, and they should have a place, but for the right reasons and at the right times. This needs a, a match that or a moment that fits it, not um, not like a hell in the cell type of pay per view where you fit the match into the gimmick the other way around. Yeah, and Grant, would you say that they'll still have a place, or do you think they they'll probably get banished, I, like most of the things that WWE do? I don't really see a place for them when crowds come back. Scott made the good point about like people going to a pay per view, and you know you're not wanting to sweat because most of these cinematic matches are about thirty minutes to an hour long, which is a long time mm-hmm. to be sitting watching a screen when you're at a pay per view. One idea that I thought would be you could have them, but have them be like online for free exclusives it could be a good way to like put like a, mid- a match in the middle when you're between shows if you've got a really stacked card here's a free special we put out in the network and it's a cinematic match for where a story works for it yeah, some of the guys say that you want to like, feel special and not be like hell in a cell like can you imagine giving cinematic matches their own pay-per-view it's like this Sunday at WWE cinematic matches <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, that, that's that's definitely something. Um, the point I wanted to make was, especially see when crowds are actually in the arenas, it is very, very hard to keep them um, sort of fixated on the screen, especially when it comes to even just like two minute promo backstage segment or like uh, an interview or even just a build up for a match as well. Like it's very hard to keep their attention span. 
So it would pain me to say that like they probably won't unless it's like a, a big massive backup. Like for example, like they do have like a stacked card and it's just like right, we've got this and it's gonna be say like the dark match or something, just something to get people to especially watch like maybe the kickoff shows or even just a little something, but it, it does pain me to say that I don't think they're gonna have a place when they come back and it's gonna be very sad. Yeah, as as why everyone's saying is true. Like the thing is though with me and wrestling, like nothing really storyline should be written, like completely written off, if you know what I mean. And mm-hmm. that's why I say like give it that space that I wouldn't say no to it or whatever. It's just that it's got to fit in the right mold not that you just have it for a having sake if you know what i mean it's just got to fit in right and that's the difference between what bray wyatt and randy orton done compared to well not according to gary with what bray wyatt and john cena had because like although the circumstances are different just the way it was presented i feel John Cena with the Firefly Funhouse was just absolutely amazing and I loved it. I loved the little quirks it had and stuff like that. However, if that was just thrown together for the sake of it, say if it was just like Bray Wyatt versus Goldberg, for example, in Saudi Arabia or whatever, it'd just be a bit, mm, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I think one thing that just came to my mind is like, I actually could possibly benefit from it. It's like what happened with Joe Hendry and Chris Renfrew in the Falls Count Anywhere match back at ICW. That's the sort of thing that can maybe benefit from it. It's just like small catching up on the camera, patch them all together just before like they finish off in said arena. Mm-hmm. Like that's a possible thing that can maybe work. Um, definitely, I would say like Falls Count Anywhere, even like an Extreme Rules or something. Anything that they can maybe start off another day and bring and finish in the ring it might be a completely different story but it, it all depends on how they can make it work if they've got the right people um, and depending as well what city because each city has a different attention span level and how badly they want to get themselves over but that see what you said earlier uh, so uh one of our listeners feedback and i was just like yes that's so spot on it's the no cm punk chance i'm sorry but i'm sick of <laughs> i'm sick of them i don't think you're the only one quacker like i know that like that that listener did say as well but a lot of us are especially us in the group chat will will agree saying that we are sick of the cm punk chat it's just pointless and the guy is clearly not going to come back he has no intention of it so what? Oh, oh well, I'm saying too much. <laughs> um, just for before we move on to like our sort of last subject, because we are starting to come towards the end of the show, I want you to just come up with your own cinematic match right here on the spot. So, Kwaku, king of the comedy matches, I'll start with you. Like a new one. A new one. Anything that you could ever possibly want. You know what I'm gonna say? I'm gonna say Battle of the Streets Lindsay style. How people go around Lindsay, the home hood and all that. It's a dangerous world out here, I'm telling you. <laughs> and maybe apart from, you know, Sean Walker, Madeline, etc., who would be involved in that match? Because Sean Walker's retired. Oh, it's it's gonna be KOE versus Working Men's Club. <laughs> But they're friends of the show, so who who knows when we, when we're all ungrounded, they might try and make that happen for you, Kwaku. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, Grant. Yes. Um, 
I think I think my cinematic match would just be 45 minutes of Timothy Thatcher murdering people in that stretching school that he's doing right now. It'd pretty much be a snuff movie. It'd be really entertaining. As long as he doesn't murder Oni Larkin tonight, or aka last night when this gets released at the Great American Bash, I'm okay. Murder. To be honest, I've, I've seen what I would class as a cinematic match live, and that was watching the Shadden Freude boys put on in Battle Royale, pretty much. That was pretty awesome. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so. Yeah, you got a good point there. Um, Gary, what would be your ultimate cinematic match? I would love WWE to do something with the Halloween Havoc concept. So, you know, if we've seen how well this could be used with, uh, with somebody with uh, limiting... Uh, in-ring abilities, so to use something, if you're ever going to get a Sting Undertaker match, it would have to be cinematic version. Anything with Viscera that involved that man getting <laughs> his moment in the sun as well. I gave him the wind when I'm mad at myself. Open goal there. <laughs> I know. Even more impressive Scott... than to bring him back to the dead. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if we can have the battle of Lindsay. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. Well, if you could fantasy book any um, cinematic match of your choice, what would you pick? I wasn't prepared for this question, so I'm just going to say, because I've seen people talking about this uh, show, just a big, giant match with basically it's a match version of The Floor is Lava, where basically you, yes. start, back, you start backstage, you have to get to the ring and try and not like, touch the floor. And primarily, I'd like, I'd like to have the Street Profits in this match, because I think Montez Ford would be good in this type of match. <laughs> uh, that and more than hype. I've already said that more than hype will be the perfect people to do that kind of match. Ricochet. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> the floor is lava match. I swear, if people don't actually, if WWE or AEW don't jump on that, especially because I'm pretty sure that show is going to save lockdown for everybody, because let's just face it, I enjoyed it when I watched it. But we'll, we'll come to like the sort of last bit, and this is just sort of because it's been really, really crappy. We've all been stuck in our houses, um, or unlike unlike people like Grant, who has actually had to go to work, be one of our key, key, worker. key workers. What have been like your highlights um, that have made the whole lockdown with basically wrestling is the only sport to be on the TV? I know football's now back, um, but. It's basically like our our sport that everyone made fun of has basically survived even a global a global pandemic. Um, so Grant, just give me one or two just highlights that have come from this whole lockdown situation. I'd say probably like my, my one biggest highlight, which made me cry tears of joy, was Hiromu Takahashi against Toru Yano oh, in the sure. best comedy match of all time. <laughs> Like to win to win the match by sellotaping a man's hands together, blindfolding him and throwing him into a lift and winning by count out. What a finish. Post I'm still scarred from that. I'm no I'm still scarred from my precious Romo. He tried giving me his hair back today. I know, I noticed. <laughs> I noticed. Um but yeah, so we we had the gift of Hiromo and Yano, but it's has there been like anything else um, because I know that like we've got the new Japan Cup uh, and Dominion is going to be starting again soon so have those been, like, been your highlights that new Japan's finally back and they've worked into the new Japan nah. Cup I know we didn't really get the G1 but that being back and my second highlight would be DDT Chris Brooks regained the universal title and he is about to fight a gay Ronald McDonald for his first title defence <laughs> I kid you not did not expect this. to hear that <laughs> 
He has dodged okay. that match twice so far in sheer terror. Quacku, I know one of our highlights, because we have discussed it on uh, Wednesday Night Wars, is Chris Jericho's commentary um, for AEW. So I want you to have the open floor, just very, very briefly, um, about what that man has done for the past like three months, especially being on commentary with Tony Schiavone. The thing with commentary is that normally you're meant to be very unbiased, you're meant to be very neutral. Chris Jericho is anything but that, he is very biased on it and it's just done in a funny way. What what I said on Wednesday Night War and it's so true is the fact that Jericho has this unique ability to put you over when he wants to put you over. He can bury you but still put you over. He can bury himself but still put you over. But the notice the thing is he's always putting you over no matter what he's doing. And that takes a very unique skill to do that. So he's just been incredible at doing that. And look at the rise of Pineapple Pete in AEW or as we know him as Shug uh, Sugar Duncan, a friend of the show. Yes, unfortunately he's got a losing streak however he's getting no opportunity Opportunities, and while he's been taken it by storm with Pineapple Pete, and it was originally said as like a just conversation kind of thing of it could have been buried, but actually put him over. That's a prime example there. Mm-hmm. Have you got any other highlights that have um, maybe surprised you? Viking Prophets, I knew I was going to like that. Firefly Funhouse, uh, Funhouse, I didn't think I would like it, but I loved it. So that's been my big highlight, really. <laughs> Gary, what have been your highlights that have come from the, the COVID era of wrestling? A couple of things. I thought uh, Wrestle, uh, WrestleMania, as I said earlier on, exceeded my expectations, and I have enjoyed all the main pay per views that have followed. Takeover, In Your House Takeover was really good fun. Backlash, Money in the Bank, I've really enjoyed those shows. I've really enjoyed seeing how some of the talents adapted to the circumstances and I've, just, I've really enjoyed trash talking in the ring as well <laughs> you know that sort of you, you, you see a wee bit with, you, with football returning now it's like watching a you know a, a game in the local park and you can hear everybody shouting at one another I'm just enjoying that see how folk are reacting to it so you know 10 out of 10 to the effort of so many of the you know, the wrestlers that are, are still you know I mentioned that money in the bank not the money in the bank for the last match at Wrestlemania where nobody phoned it in that night they you know the bumps and so on they took that night were, were immense but yeah really enjoyed the pay-per-views and seeing how the business is adapted to it and um, and I think done fa- done fairly well through it. <laughs> I've seen the other day, Vince McMahon's net worth has increased by 10% during COVID. Of course it has. Well. <laughs> <laughs> and Scott, quickly before we finish up for this week's show, what have been some of your highlights? My highlight, I don't expect to love as much as I do, is the greatest musical duo of the 21st century. What oh, happens when, you, when Wham meets Bill and Ted at uh, <laughs> Morrison with first they had hey hey ho ho and then they had hey hey the universal champion needs to go that second one as well has got seeped its way into my brain i found myself wandering about the house singing that second song myself because it's just so damn catchy i bet ross is glad he moved out now (laughs) (laughs) i've been doing it make sure he stays away Well, yeah, and a, quick, like, a couple of wee highlights for me, of course, is Chris Jericho's commentary, um, and I do talk about it all the time. 
And it's also the fact, you know, Orange Cassidy and the best friends are finally going to get their title shot after pretty much the entire night of lockdown being number one contenders. So hopefully, hopefully this happens this week at Fighter Fest, and I can brag about it on Wednesday Night Wars. But just Saturday Draft Live because I'm my team. (laughs) (laughs) But I just want to thank my panel for being with me today. Um, So Gary, I'm sorry that Quacker upset you a little bit, but thank you for joining us. Thank you, Sarah. I won't hold it against you with Quacker's ageist comments. (laughs) I'll make a special complaint to Mr. Stephen Wilson. <laughs> and yeah. Scott, thank you for it's like Scott, thank you for joining me as well. No problem. <laughs> <laughs> Grant, thank you for taking some time out to break down all the lockdown. <laughs> That's that that was Grant laughing at me. And thank you to Mr. Quakuaji as well for joining me. Oh, thank you very much. I look forward to the official complaint and punishment from Stevie. Although him talking to me is punishment enough, so please don't do that to me, Gary. <laughs> and like I mentioned a bit earlier, maybe the, like I'm, I'm pretty sure the guys will be breaking down the the Boneyard match as well as the outcome next week. We are going to be taking a look at the Last Ride series, which was the series that was posted after WrestleMania about The Undertaker talking about his retirement and everything that's been going on with him. So, as always, I hope you're having a, lo- a, morn- a lovely morning, afternoon or evening, depending on whenever you're listening to us. And I hope to speak to you soon. Bye now. Ladies and gentlemen, Eat, Sleep, Suplex, Retweet now proudly presents Suplex Retweet Extra! Get bonus content on WWE, AEW, NXT, WCW, Scottish and World Independent Promotions. Subscribe now on Spotify, Apple and Android podcasting sites, as well as YouTube. Head over to suplexretweet.com now. Sports Social Podcast Network. With Lucky Landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.